0: Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 3, Term 3. This is Lesson 27. Uh, remember, again, we began, excuse me, we just finished in Luke chapter 4. We need to go next to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And uh, this is where we encounter uh, the four of his first disciples. And, you know, they're just going about their normal life. And since Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, parallels Matthew 4 verses 18 through 22. We'll choose to look at Mark's account primarily, especially since it continues on to the next incident uh, while adding to it from Matthew's account any details that Mark leaves out. So we'll always look at everything so you get the whole story. Amen? So let's begin in Mark chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee... I've given you some other names it's known by as well. He saw Simon call Peter and Andrew, his brother, casken into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, there are several things to be noted here. I know it doesn't look like there's anything to be noted here, but <laughs> there's a few things we need to look at. First, Robert H. Mounts says that in the time of Christ, nine cities lined, lined its shores, and its waters were crowned with fishermen. All right, So this is the Sea of Galilee. All right, second, notice who God decided to build the foundations of his church with. People the world would have never thought to even consider. Amen? Amen. And in fact, the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, he says, "Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were noble, or excuse me, of noble birth." And notice, then he says in verse 27, we can say that about the disciples, can we? Uh, I think we can accurately sort of apply that scripture to them. And so now we see verse 27 in, I, I believe, a better light when he says, But God has chosen, or but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Now they were not foolish in themselves, but to the world they were foolish. Well, you know, I I need to preach on this. (laughs) Let me stop for a minute. It's very sad that the world set certain standards, and then everybody those standards applied standards are applied to everybody, regardless. And you know, we're only now finding out that people have about seven different levels upon which you know intelligence and all that should be should be um, measured, and the schools only measure basically two of those. So think about this. Two of the strengths out of seven are only measured in schools, and then they tell you that you're not smart or you're really smart. What's interesting is that the measuring stick that the school the schools are measured by are devised by people who are actually good at those two things. <laughs> You get it. A lot of textbooks in the past, not today, praise God but a lot of textbooks in the past were lit, written by intellectuals, for intellectuals, and the students suffered. You don't know what they were on about. And we need to understand something. You know, if we really measured people properly, can I say this? We would find that everybody is smart in some area. Everybody is. Amen. And you need to remember that. So, see, God then doesn't look at how the world measures things, because the Creator looks at who He created, and says, I know what you're really capable of. There's no such thing as a second-rate creation. Every single one of you has been destined and designed to do something extraordinary. And that's the reason why we want to place ourselves in God's hands, not in educators' hands, and in the world's system, and be measured by them. Amen? Okay, enough preaching, let's get back to this now. I hope that helps you. Because a lot of us live the rest of our life based on what teachers have told us and what the school told us. And then we aspire to whatever they said we should aspire to. Not what God is saying to do. Alright, so back to this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Now understand something in order for them to be able to shame the wise it means that what they were going to do was going to show the wise in quotes up for what they were doing amen if you if you shame a wise person it means that shame on you, you <laughs> okay you thought you were smart but guess what what i did was smarter what i did was better amen okay now notice notice again We are we are talking about the world against God. Uh, We're not talking about raw intelligence. We're talking about who the world considers wise and who God considers wise. And it's saying that a lot of what the world considers to be, you know, uh, you know, because it's just us today. Let me just go off track a little bit more. You know, I've I've been I've been looking at. um, I I love science. I love maths. You know that, okay. (laughs) <laughs> Big shock to everybody, but uh, you know I was uh, I, I listened to different things and different people on in different areas, and it is shocking how much science. You know, somebody actually said this uh, said that you know science is meant to be objective. It isn't. It really isn't. There are people it, because when you actually look at science, and I'm talking about the, the the wisdom of God against the wisdom of man. Okay, follow now. God is revealing things to man. And it's very interesting how it, how many years, decades it took for something that the scientific world proved was right. But because the belief at the time was comfortable to those scientists that wanted to believe that, they didn't accept what was said. When that new information would explain a lot of the things in the Bible... That scientists originally said, oh, that can't be true. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? And so they wouldn't accept it. Watch now, the wise in the world against the foolishness. Hmm. Okay, Because at one point in time, they had made... I'll I'll give you one example, so we're not working around some theoretical thing that nobody knows what we're talking about. Just just for example, the speed of light. Just for example. Somebody had acted, because they said, how can... This planet be only like ten thousand or six thousand or whatever years old, and and the scientists are saying it's millions of years old. And you, they one of the things they use is light, you know, the speed of light. And that if we're seeing galaxies that are so far away, there's no way that we could see them, you know, if we're here and you know, and 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 light is traveling at a certain speed because science uh, accepted the fact that light was a constant. Now we find out it isn't. Light speed is slowing down. I'm going to teach you this just for two seconds, okay? And when they trace it back to 10,000 years or six, or 6 to 10,000 years ago, light speed was unbelievable. So, isn't that interesting? That has now been proven, by the way, because they've done experiments with clocks and everything else to show you that light speed isn't a constant. It's, it's not a constant. All right? It's just not. It's slowing down, by the way. Okay? But <laughs> which is. You know, that's a thing in itself. But that would explain why we can see everything today, right? Without having to accept evolution and millions and millions of years, right? So here it is that God's wisdom, once again, God has done something. As this individual said, were you there when he created things? Were you there to measure everything? You weren't there. So how can you look at today and go, well, everything was the same back then? Who's to say? You weren't there? So if we take the Bible for what it says to be true, let's start there and then try to work it out and see what doesn't work for us. And what doesn't fit in with what God, the Creator, is saying. Interesting. That's why I said, you know, this, the Bible isn't a non-scientific book. If we base our science on it, everything will work. I'll just say that move on now. Alright, that'll do. So we can see, just from that, we can see how God has chosen what the world considers foolish... But others said, no, it isn't. And they were called foolish. Today, they are going and saying, you know, you guys were right actually. Interesting, isn't it? So all the wisdom of the world at the time was wrong. And the people that were making these claims were foolish. Are you all with me now? You get this? Okay. So I want you to see that not just in terms of little fishermen. Okay, I want you to see that on a whole other level. So that's why it says here, but God chose the foolish things of the world, of the world, not of God, but of the world to shame the wise of the world. Okay, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Remember the Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, the power of God is strong. Amen. In his commentary, Arkent Hughes writes In a word, these fishermen were remarkably uh, provincial, (laughs) even to the extent of having their own telltale accent. Then Christ came, and how their world changed. In place of Galilee came the world, John was to become Bishop of Ephesus, Peter went to Rome, Andrew went as far as the borders of Russia, their hearts were enlarged to take in the whole world, their minds once bound and committed to the smallest interest now overflowed with deep thoughts. They became theologians, thinkers, sociologists, psychologists and strategists, all because of the gospel. Awesome. Amen. And all of this because of what it goes on to say in Mark chapter one, verse 17, which is then Jesus said to them, "Follow me." He says, "I will make you fishers, I become fishers of men." All right. Now this is almost identical to the parallel account in Matthew 4:19. Alright, even though Mark gives you a little bit more detail. Alright, now what's unusual about this verse is that in Judaism, it was the disciple who chose the rabbi, as was the case of John and Andrew choosing to follow John the Baptist, until Jesus came along, and at which time they then chose to follow him instead. Now, here we see about something very unusual happening, and that is Jesus invites these men to follow him. We need to remember this incident when, when he says, "You didn't choose me, I chose you." OK We need to be careful because a lot of people misapply that verse to say, "Well, no, 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 you know, you don't get to choose whether you're coming to God. He chooses whether you're coming or not. A predestination message can be preached from this, which which messes everything up. You know, and people sort of have all kinds of problems with that, and uh, it's really sad. Uh, but let me just say this, the only thing that determines whether you go to heaven or hell, you find Jesus telling, can we always believe Jesus first? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, are you all with me? Okay, I, I love the Apostle Paul and everything, but you know, you have to take all of that in context of where he was and what he was talking about. Mm. Alright, but Jesus makes it very clear, and we'll look at all of these things, when, because it's the life of Jesus. Uh, uh, when we get to those chapters, when Jesus says, these are the things that determine whether, whether you're going to heaven or hell. And the people that helped him, and those people that did, remember when, he, when they come and say, but we did all these things in your name, and he says, I never knew you. Remember that? Okay, so we'll look at all of that stuff. So we're going to find out what you know, the criteria for heaven and hell is. And you know what? It isn't predetermined. You decide. Yeah. Amen? So we'll dis- discuss that when we get to it. Alright, so, so in light of this, understand that this event actually happened. Jesus went and said, follow me. So in that, in that case, it was him who picked. Okay, alright. And so that's the proper way to apply this. <laughs> okay. Now, where are we? Next in relation to being fishers of men, William MacDonald says fishing is an art, and so is soul winning. First, it requires patience. Often there are lonely hours of waiting. Okay. Second, it requires skill in the use of bait, lures, or nets. Okay, so number one, patience. Okay, takes time. you Can't get him saved quickly. Okay, <laughs> all right? may take a long time for some people. Second thing is, you do need some kind of bait. You need to lure them in. You need to find something that it, that that they're attracted to. Are you all with me? So you know, if things in your life are doing the exact opposite, change those things. If you if the person that you're trying to reach is important to you. Are you all here? Yeah. Then you have to make the decision. You know, uh, is their salvation or your quirks more important? I'm just saying. Okay? If it not you know, if it's not, just be honest. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Number three. I'm just being honest with you. You know, some people just don't want to give up their quirks or whatever. Okay. They say, let you know, Lord, send another laborer across their path because I just can't do that. Fair enough. Just know that and pray that. Okay. Amen. God wants everybody saved. Alright, third, it requires discernment and common sense in going where the fish are running. In other words, don't go to church to try to get people saved. Generally, they are already saved. Amen. You need to find the place where there are people that need that salvation. And, can I just add, where you can be effective. You can't be effective everywhere. Amen. Okay hopefully that's a liberating statement for you so don't think you have to get every single person you run across saved alright you do what God has called you to do and stay in that place unless he calls you out into to something else number four it requires persistence a good fisherman is not easily discouraged you know sometimes we have a failure to it and go you know what that'll do <laughs> you know or they get mean and rude and nasty yeah just spiteful you know what I'm saying and they say some hurtful things, and you go, "Fine, go to hell." You know, you know. Okay, you know. I'm just being honest, man. You know, some people, you know. Oh, amen. All right, moving on before I get into more trouble. Fifth, it, <laughs> it requires quietness. The best policy is to avoid disturbances and keep self in the background. It's a key thing, you know. The more racket you make, you know, fish just go away. Amen. Same thing with people. Amen. All right. The last step is of utmost importance—that is, keeping self in the background. And why the Apostle Paul wrote First Corinthians chapter three, verses five through seven, says, "Who then is Paul?" And Paul is writing this about himself. All right, and who is Apollos? I don't know that guy, by the way. But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, we need to understand, there's something tremendous in this, in showing that we are to work as members of a team. Yep, okay. We are a team. We work together. We are the body of Christ. Amen. And so we need to understand that sometimes, you know, we might do something and we think, oh, the person didn't get saved. Hey, you've done your part. Let somebody else do their part. And don't get in their way. That's right hello <laughs> okay and understand something you know you might do a lot of work and they might get him saved never mind it is god who who brings increase and you will be rewarded see whatever you sow you reap okay understand something that's a, he- a heavenly principle in that if uh, let me just share this very quickly with you if you spend 16 days ministering to someone this collectively okay somebody goes to somebody's meeting and in one day they get them saved Understand something, they're not going to get the same reward you're going to get. Even though you go, they got saved over there. You know, it might be years. Let's go, I spent 16 years and in one day they get it. No, you'll be blessed for 16 years of sowing into their life. They'll get blessed for one day of getting them in. That's it. You need to understand this. You can't reap more than you sow. Get it? Okay, so be thrilled when they get saved. One us thing. You can move on to the next thing. Knowing that your reward in heaven is not compromised and it's waiting there for you. Alright, verse 7, he says, So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Amen? So we need to understand that at the end of the day, it's not all our personality and everything else. It's God is the one that brings in the increase. That's why we need to understand that, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't, you know what? That's God's thing. You do your part and the rest is up to God. You can't make anybody get saved. Do you know that? Get that? Okay. Returning to Mark chapter 1, following Jesus' invitation to follow him, it goes on to say in verse 18 that they immediately left their nets and followed him it's identical to Matthew 4:20 what it says all right so we'll just leave it at that now this is the second time that Jesus has spoken to these men. Now this is not the first time, this is the second time. Okay. Some believe that these men may have returned to their fishing business following the arrest of John the Baptist, whom Andrew had been a follower of at, uh, of at one time. Remember that? Others believe that, first, uh, that the first time Jesus spoke to them was to salvation and this time to service. There is merit in both thoughts. Alright, so, just to simplify all of that. In other words, they're saying, you know, that once Jesus called them the first time, some believe that, you know, they left him because of what happened to John the Baptist. Alright, other people say, no, the first time he called them was for salvation. Like, he, he called them to get saved, so to speak. Second time was, now come and do something with that salvation. You are know, all with me? Alright, now even though, that, uh, even though they do follow him, here perhaps in the capacity of service to the kingdom they haven't yet made the decision to forsake all and follow him that's still to come so understand something it took three callings before these guys settled understand something god doesn't expect you on the first you know on the first thing to come are you all here okay because sometimes you know people sort of there see there's an illustration in the old testament I, think, I don't know whether it was Elisha or Elijah, one of them anyway, who had sort of called someone and you know, the person said, well, I've got this and this to do. And they said, you know what? In essence, that story sort of said, if you're going to do all of that, then do all of that. But you know, you're not ready for the kingdom. Okay? But if you're going to come, then come now, kind of thing. Okay? And people kind of follow that. Preachers like to use that to get help in the church. <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right? Because, you know, they're tired of waiting. So they just say, either do it now or forget about it. You know? Uh, sometimes people need a bit of time. The reason is that it does take time to make a quality decision. Now, let those two words sink in. A quality decision. See, there are people that make emotional decisions, they're not so great. Okay? But a quality decision does take time. Because you have to consider everything and think, okay, I'm going to have to give this up, and really think about it. I need to talk to this person, sort things out, amen? Okay, and you need to have an agreement there, before you move out in some areas. Alright, so it does take time to make a quality decision, that's not based on emotion, and that will stand the test of time. Further to all this, in his comment to Robert H. Mounts, says Jesus called as his helpers, not the religious leaders of Jerusalem, but common people from the mixed population of Galilee. Religious knowledge often hinders the action required by genuine faith. That's good, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Religious knowledge often hinders the action required by genuine faith. I remember when I first got saved you know, I had uh, this pastor came up to me and said, "You're always just very receptive i didn't know how he knew okay, <laughs> okay? now I can tell all right, but uh, he just said." Where did you come from? You know, what's your background? And I said, well, I was a Buddhist and everything. And he said, that's why. He said, you know what? I envy you. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, when I became a Christian, he said, I came from the denominational, like from the churches. And he said, I had to unlearn a lot of things before I was fully able to step into this. And he said, I've still got things and hang-ups in my life that I have to deal with from that place, from all the religion that was taught. Christian, Right? And he said, But with you, he said, You've basically come in with a clean slate and you just you just everything you've told, you just take it. I say, Yeah, man, I believe everything you tell me. (laughs) Until I find out otherwise, you know. I have no problems with that. And I think that that's a real blessing and it's a real key. And I think you know, in this case, and this is what is being brought out, sometimes, you know, you see the the greatest problem Jesus had was with the religious leaders who misapplied a lot of what was written. That's right. They knew a lot, but only enough to be critical of Jesus. Not to help him and support him. Amen. Continuing on to Mark, I want to say other things, but let's leave it. Continuing on to Mark chapter one verses nineteen and twenty, it says that when he had gone a little further from there, and there he saw two brothers, uh, James the the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in the boat, okay, with with their father Zebedee. Matthew tells us that, okay, that's why I put it in there. All right, in Matthew four twenty one, mending their nets. Now notice these two brothers were not fishing like Peter and Andrew were, but they were. Busy mending their nets, okay? And immediately he called them, and in Matthew 4.22 it says, Immediately they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants. Meaning that their father did have help, and was not abandoned in any way. And went after him, that's Jesus. okay? Or as Matthew puts it, and followed him. All right. So I'm, I've given you all the scriptures there, so you know what all, all the versions say. Now, notice here that even though James and John were willing to break the strongest family ties, leaving both their boat, that is their business, and their father, they didn't in any way wrong their father and leave him without help. Because that would have broken the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother. So I want you to notice something. Notice I told you, it takes a while to make a quality decision, and also you need to make sure that you are not leaving people in the lurch you all here? Because you know, you can turn people off of Christianity by you saying, well, that's it. I don't care what anybody says, I'm going to go do this. You know, that's good for you, but it causes people a whole bunch of problems around you. Be careful. Be careful. Now, you know, that's different to if God's calling you and people are holding on to you and not letting you go, and you're doing your best to try and resolve situations and sort things out. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, and then there's, just got, there's got to come a time where you go, you know what, that's it. I'm just going to have to go do what God asked me to do. Because, you know, I've done everything I can. But that's only after you've done everything you can. Amen. Okay, moving on. Now, even though these men follow Jesus here, they will still help their father with the business, off and on, until he is settled. And they are ready to forsake all and follow the Lord permanently into ministry. That's brought out in Luke chapter 5, verse 11. Obviously, we'll see that when we get to it. To conclude this session, we'll finish with what William William Hendrickson says. He said, Is is it not marvelous that Jesus was willing and able to take such common folk, four fishermen, unschooled individuals, and in spite of all of their prejudices and superstitions, to transform them into instruments for the salvation of many, to make them leaders who, by means of their testimony, would turn the world? upside down. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright, when we come back, we'll look at his word was with authority. Verse 21. (laughs) Amen. Take a break.